0: I'm Ayla Ellison, and you're listening to The Top Line. This week's episode is a special Fierce 50 edition. The Fierce 50 special report was published in October. For the project... The Fierce editorial team profiled 50 individuals and organizations, making a profound difference in patient care. Among the Fierce 50, you will find industry leaders who have pioneered therapies, overhauled patient care models, and championed innovative approaches to addressing pressing challenges in healthcare and biopharma. We celebrated the honorees at an awards gala in New York City on December 5th. It was a memorable evening, and the rest of the Fierce team and I are excited for a remarkable 2024 edition. In today's episode of The Top Line, you'll hear from the Fierce Healthcare editorial team as they do a deep dive into this year's Fierce 50. They share their experiences with the project, discuss the profiles they tackled, and highlight the valuable lessons they gained. Here they are.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm senior editor Paige Minemeyer, and I'm here to host a special episode diving into some of the honorees included in our inaugural Fierce 50 report, which was published on October 5th. The Fierce 50 project combined the strengths of Fierce Healthcare, Fierce Pharma, and Fierce Biotech to recognize the people and companies who are truly making an impact in driving health forward. I'm joined by Anastasia gliadkovskaya staff writer for Fierce Healthcare, who's going to share a bit of what she learned in compiling her profiles. Anastasia, great to chat with you. You too, Paige. So to to start things off, can you just talk a little bit about the companies and people that you profiled and how that process went?
2: So for the social impact category, I got to profile Gary Cohen, who's president and founder of a really cool nonprofit called Healthcare Without Harm. The organization is one of the leading advocates for healthcare sustainability and greening the industry. And I've talked to Gary quite a bit for my stories in the past, so it was really nice to hear his kind of full life story and hear more about the organization's strategy too. For the patient advocacy category, I chatted with Medicines360. It's a really unique company. They're a nonprofit pharma, and they have a mission to democratize access to meds specifically for women. And for the health equity category, I profiled Maven Clinic, which calls itself the largest virtual provider for women's and family health. It's a really impressive company, and they serve 15 million people globally, which is massive.
1: For us, it's always a, a joy to, to get the chance to really dive deep into some of these people and companies that we cover. What were some of the things that you learned about and maybe even from them as, as you were writing these profiles?
2: With Gary of Healthcare Without Harm, it was great to see where his environmental activism kind of comes from, which is from Buddhism. He actually moved to India for a few years after college and got to learn from Tibetan teachers in exile. And one of their core beliefs is living in harmony with the environment. So it was really neat to see how that kind of influenced his career later on. Gary also shared a bit about his strategy for healthcare without harm, which is to have a unified global coalition of the willing, so to speak, basically health systems and other stakeholders who Are willing to test out the various solutions and best practices that the organization puts out and then to provide feedback. So it's an iterative process. And Gary said this approach helps not only to scale green innovation, but it also minimizes uh, what he called unhelpful competitiveness in the industry. When I was profiling Medicines 360, I got to dive deep into the history of nonprofit pharma and hormonal IUDs, actually. The first hormonal IUD in the US was introduced in 2001, a long time ago, but it really wasn't affordable until the ACA for a lot of women. So in 2009, when Medicines360 came about, they were one of the first nonprofit pharmas in the world, and they actually targeted a hormonal IUD as their first product. They ended up creating the largest ever clinical trial conducted on this type of product in the US, and they included a bunch of diverse groups of individuals that had never before been studied for example women of color overweight women those who had never had children and after the launch of their first product called Liletta medicine 360 was able to continue their clinical trial and keep proving its efficacy for longer and longer periods of time which was obviously really helpful to women who don't have to uh, come in and get it replaced as often so last year they were able to get an 8 year approval for their product
1: for a healthcare leader who's looking at these companies and at Gary's work, what do you think are some lessons that they could take away from them that that they could really apply in their own careers?
2: One that jumps out at me is actually from Maven, which fun fact means expert. So they have a really, really extensive network of more than 30 provider types across 350 subspecialties. That's their thing. Like they want to be in as many niches as possible to best serve women and families. And they offer lots of appointment slots a week, 5,000 plus, and they give members a customized referral list for fertility services based on their location and personal preferences and whatever data they have on clinic performance. So this type of personalized care and flexibility clearly really appeals to patients. And I think it makes the company stand out Maven knew that to get good outcomes, they first needed to lock down really strong product engagement. So they chased that. And then they were able to prove out really good outcomes. And for example, within six weeks of launching a men and program, more than 1.2 million lives were cro- covered across 150 employers at Maven. So that's just one example of how the strategy really resonates in their market. I also think of the creativity of Medicines360. They knew that they had limited resources as a nonprofit. So to help commercialize their products, they made a for-profit subsidiary called Cure Pharma 360. Cure partners with humanitarian aid and patient advocacy organizations. And ultimately, Medicines360 will tell you that there is a place for big pharma to also exist. The for-profit world, they do really expensive, really necessary work is what they would say. But Medicines360 and other nonprofit pharmas, they try to catch people who fall through the cracks. And that's a really powerful place to be as a company, too.
1: In addition to, to writing these profiles, you were one of the category chairs for the project in the in the health equity segment. What do you think really makes for an innovator in this space?
2: It's a great question. And it's, it's hard to boil it down to just a few things. I would say for me personally, if you're looking out for people who are marginalized, that are disadvantaged, or being discriminated against, or being screwed over, honestly, by the system, if you're helping ensure that everyone has a fair and affordable shot at being healthy and living their best lives, if you're prioritizing people over profits, and you're doing really hard work for the greater good, and importantly, I think if you have the data to show for it, right, like you are actively improving outcomes, you're tracking that and you are improving outcomes and behaviors in a meaningful and sustainable way. I think those are different components that I think about when I think about health equity.
1: I'm going to ask you to to look ahead a little bit, say a year from now, we're back here having the same conversation about the 2024 Fierce 50 list. What do you think would catch your eye for someone that we should include as an honoree? And maybe what makes a person or company fierce from your perspective?
2: I think it's being really brave and bold, not being afraid to try something new. The folks that I've been talking about here today, they're all very innovative, they have a very unique value proposition. I think being relentless and standing up for your corner of the market is really important, as is making an impact that will be remembered. Since I always have my eye on equity, I think if you're making huge strides to close gaps in disparities, if you're tracking that data and you can prove your outcomes, I think you're doing the right things. So to me, being fierce means challenging the status quo and actually having an impact.
1: Anastasia, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Paige. Now I'd like to bring on senior editor Heather Landy to share some of her Fierce 50 takeaways. Heather, welcome. things started, can you introduce us to the honorees that you profiled?
3: Yes. So I spoke with uh, Dr. David Feinberg, a well-known healthcare leader, physician, psychiatrist, and health tech executive. And I also profiled Mark Cuban Cost Plus Drugs Company. Fortunately, I was not able to get an interview with Mark Cuban himself, He did respond to some of my questions via email, which was great, but I spoke with co-founder Dr. Alex Ashmajansky for that profile.
1: And, you know, in the process of compiling those, I mean, what were things that you learned about them and maybe from them as as you were uh, conducting those interviews?
3: One of the things I was reminded of when interviewing these honorees, and one of the things that I love about covering healthcare, is that there's often a personal story that drives people to start a company or pursue a certain path or to focus on a certain area of the industry, and for Dr. Feinberg, he was telling me how his interaction with patients early in his career really motivated him to, to, to focus on making healthcare understandable and more accessible. And that's kind of in a trend line through his career as I was interviewing him. It was really interesting to me how that has really informed his work through his career and then in my interview with Dr. Ashmyanski with Cost Plus Drugs, he's a practicing radiologist. And at first glance, it might seem strange. Like, why would a radiologist be interested in starting an on- online pharmaceutical company? But he was telling me that he kept seeing patients have bad health care outcomes because they were unable to afford their medications. And that motivated him to start a nonprofit pharmaceutical company that sells drugs at cost. And then it was just very interesting to talk to him about how he just sent a cold email to Mark Cuban and was able to convince Mark Cuban to jump on board with the company. What really struck me about this company is that it only launched a little less than two years ago, but it's already making some pretty big waves in the industry.
1: And then for our our readers who are executives and leaders in the industry, what lessons do you think they should take away from, from the folks that you profiled?
3: The big lessons that stands out to me with both of these profiles is just this, this the idea of staying true to your mission or what motivated you to get into the industry in the first place. For Dr. David Feinberg, his kind of mission was just constantly staying focused on what's best for patients. And this idea is just staying focused on what's best for patients and not creating new tech just for the sake of of cool new tech. And also, what struck me as another lesson is just this, sometimes a simple idea can be disruptive. In the case of cost plus drugs, Dr. Ashma admitted to me that transparent pricing for consumers isn't really a groundbreaking idea, but the business of healthcare is complex and prices for medical services are opaque. So cost plus pricing is actually innovative and the company is really actually disrupting the industry.
1: I love that you said the word innovative because that's a great transition (laughs) to what I was going to ask you next. You, in addition to writing these profiles, you chaired the innovation category for the Fierce 50, one of the five that we had, what to you makes makes a person or a company innovative?
3: Yeah, I really enjoyed reading all of the profiles in the innovation category. I enjoyed reading the Fierce 50 in, in entirely. But what I think is compelling about the innovation category is how we've highlighted a wide range of companies and people bringing cutting edge tech and ideas to the industry. For me, the idea of being innovative is just taking risks and being forward thinking And I think just going through some of the people in this category, these are forward-thinking people who are truly changing the healthcare industry. We've got Dennis Wall, who was inspired to transform how autism is diagnosed and launched a company called Cognoa. And then there's Farzad Mustach, who you interviewed, and how his company Allidate is helping to drive a shift to value-based care. So with him, it's not so much tech. It's just this idea of bringing an innovative approach to primary care and and really driving that shift to value based care, and then also in that category was this company called Equip that provides virtual eating disorder treatment that is really helping to open up access to this this area of treatment where so many people need care. So I think it's just a wide range of companies and people. But I think what kind of is the trend line through there is just being forward thinking, thinking about where are there gaps in care, where do, where do patient, pa- patients need help, and then risk and bringing new ideas to the industry.
1: I would like you to take out your, your crystal ball, presuming mm-hmm. we're a year in the future where we're connecting to have this kind of same conversation for a 2024 Fierce 50. What, from your perspective, would, would catch your eye for someone who should make the list? What makes a person or a company fierce to you?
3: I cover the tech beat, and I'm hearing a lot of buzz and excitement about AI and healthcare, particularly generative AI. But I do think it's difficult for companies, and going forward, I think it's going to be very difficult for companies to stand out among all the noise about AI. So I'm going to be really interested to see if there are companies, either startups or established players, that are building something with AI that really improves the patient or clinician experience. So can you talk a little bit about the profiles that you wrote?
1: Yeah. You mentioned Dr. Masashari, who, you know, in my experience covering our audience, and I know you've seen this too, probably needs no introduction to them, but he is the CEO and co-founder of Allidade and also has a pretty extensive history in public policy and and public health, including a stint at, at ONC where he spearheaded the meaningful use rollout. So the thing about Dr. Masashari that's really, I think, what makes people probably our audience really like him so much is that he's extremely candid, right? So he's very honest about what he sees in the industry and what he perceives as the answer to those questions. So when we were talking about Allidade and the founding of that, he said he was working at Brookings after leaving ONC and had just assumed that Allidade already existed out in the market, given the the emphasis on value-based care and then in the kind of drive toward that and he was doing this kind of policy analyst work and just expecting to see Allidaid exist. And when it it didn't exist, he's, well, I guess it's up to me. I took that charge forward. And now Allidaid is one of the highest performing ECOs in the Medicare Shared Savings Program. And they're looking at other ways to keep building beyond Medicare. And I know when you sat down with him at the Fierce Health Payer Summit earlier this year, you talked about this. The, the Allidaid team, Including Dr. Masashari specifically, have been pretty candid about the, the ebbs and flows of, of the, the work that they've done at Allidaid. So, when their initial results in 2015 didn't really meet expectations in terms of savings, they published a, a paper really diving into that and really offering a look behind the curtain at what he called an, an anatomy of a failure and kind of being really honest about what went wrong and what they need to do to move forward. And clearly that has paid off for them and they continue to grow and, and improve their their performance. My other profile was Dr. Jesse Ehrenfeld, who is the current president of the American Medical Association. And he is the AMA's first openly gay president, which is coming at a time when certainly there's a lot of concern about backsliding for rights among for the LGBTQIA plus population, especially in healthcare. There's a lot of concern from physicians looking at gender affirming care and whether they can perform their jobs for patients up to the par they want to, as well as concerns about their safety, given that there has been threats and potential violence against Providers who are offering this care. So I think it's auspicious that <laughs> that the American Medical Association tapped Dr. Ehrenfeld to lead the organization at a time like this. But I wouldn't want to boil him down to just that. He also is an expert in in health technology and in in tech. He holds multiple patents, so he's, built some of these technology devices and, and solutions. And he also is a award-winning photographer. So he's, a, he's a, a very multifaceted person as well.
3: Yeah, that does sound interesting. And it's always fun to chat with um, Dr. Mostashari. He's always, he always is a very candid interview. Absolutely. So what did you learn from some of these interviews and profiles you did? And, and what are lessons that you think other healthcare leaders could take away from these honorees? Yeah,
1: I think... From for Dr. Masashari, he's just somebody who he's decisive, and clearly he saw that again that there was a need for something like Alidate in the market, and when no one else was doing it, he stepped forward and and made it happen. And again, they've they they started maybe a little rocky, but they learned from that experience and never really quit on it. And I think that's definitely something, especially you know you were talking about the the innovator category and. You have a lot of experience covering tech. So you see these kind of startups come and go, I think. Yeah. So I think that's a lesson that people in the industry can take from is just the perseverance of if you see a need, you see a a niche that needs to be filled in this industry and you have a a way to fill it. Don't don't be immediately discouraged. Healthcare is hard. (laughs) It's slow to change. You're not maybe going to see results in year one or even year five, but you'll get there if you keep chipping at it. And from Dr. Ehrenfeld, I think he just he is the type of person who has been an advocate for some time and is also, I think, an interesting thing that I learned from him, which actually wasn't from the Fierce 50, but I met him at Health and we talked. He's thinking a lot about kind of how physicians can get more involved in kind of this tech and innovation space and how their voices can be heard a little more, especially as some of these solutions look at clinical outcomes and potentially clinical pieces of the puzzle. So what do tech companies need to do to make the pitch to a physician and and incorporate their perspective more? And I think that's something that he's really looking at at AMA. So something that our readers should be thinking about as well.
3: Yeah, those, those are some really interesting takeaways. You were a category chair for the patient advocacy category. So what's really stood out to you as far as the people and the companies in that category?
1: Yeah, I think when we Sat down with Ayla earlier this year in the lead up to the Fierce Fifty, we we talked about this, and I said I think I have a perspective that's maybe a little different on this topic, given that the the priority focus for me is on health insurance and access in that way rather than through the provider lens and in the in clinic. So I I think I was looking for kind of the potential there and ways ways people are addressing cost and. Accessibility that way. So we have Medicines 360s in this category. Anastasia just discussed them earlier in the show, but they're looking at kind of ways to to make it easier for people to afford hormonal birth control and including IUDs and using that while also leaning on the private pharmaceutical industry and not cutting them out. So I thought that was a really interesting kind of approach to this, as well as, again, we we talked about Dr. Ehrenfeld earlier. He's in this category. And, and beyond kind of his immediate medical advocacy that way for patients, there's a lot of activity that goes on at the AMA looking at policy reimbursement and things like that. So I think that's another key focus for them in terms of just making sure doctors are paid enough and then when they're paid enough, patients can afford care.
3: I, I love that we had that category. I yeah. don't think that patient advocacy is an area that maybe gets as much attention from, like, from a business perspective of healthcare, but I think it's great that we're highlighting those people Absolutely. So just to flip your question back to you for looking ahead at the 2024 Fierce 50 list, what would catch your eye for a potential honoree? What makes a person or company fierce in your eyes? Yeah, I
1: think I really just want to see something a little different. I feel like, and again, this may be something you <laughs> you see a lot, given that you cover a lot of these tech companies and startups and solution providers. I think, again, as someone who's in the cover coverages in the insurance space, I see a lot of these. Companies, how they're making the pitch, right? Mm-hmm. And I think if we really want to recognize people who are changing the industry and really driving it forward, we need to see someone coming at it from a different angle than we're already seeing. So I think maybe greater emphasis in health equity in your solution or developing tech that is a little more consumer friendly than some of what we've seen. Things like that are really going to attract my attention.
3: It'll be really exciting to see who makes the list next year. Absolutely. Heather, thanks for thanks for the time. Yep, it was it was fun chatting.
1: And to close out our Fierce 50 Spotlight episode, welcome staff writer Dave Moyo. Dave, great to chat with you.
4: Hey, pleasure's come.
1: Great to get to get us started. Can you introduce us to the honorees you profiled and kind of their their background? Sure.
4: So I had three honorees I spoke with. I'll start in the innovation category with uh, Dr. John Halamka, president of the Mayo Clinic Platform. He He's got an interesting career story because he describes himself as the Forrest Gump of healthcare IT, where he's just, (laughs) he happened to be everywhere over the course of his career as major changes in the field happened. We had some fun chats about his introduction to tech. He found computer parts in the dumpster outside of a defense contractor that he lived near and took those to The dorms with him. And then he runs a farm animal sanctuary with his wife that we also spoke a lot about that is very smart device integrated. He's a big proponent of automation. And a lot of what he's working at over at Mayo Clinic Platform is very similar data science, technology, and automating in a way that can really help streamline care. After him, I spoke with Dr. Lisa Cooper. She's the Bloomberg Distinguished Professor and Director of the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Equity. And in my mind, she's like, An OG health equity academic researcher. She grew up in Liberia and left the country pretty early on, I think, her 17th birthday because there was a violent coup and eventually made it to the US, went into the medical field. And she told uh, kind of her exposure to this was that she was doing the early part of her medical career in the Baltimore area and saw a disparity between the patients that were coming to. Her facility. And specifically, she saw differences in the interactions between some of the lower income and often minority patients and the doctors who are predominantly from privileged bra- backgrounds and often white. And what's worse, she also noted that some of the behaviors that the doctors were treating these people with, she was starting to mimic despite her very different background. So she really wanted to dig into the combination of how does an individual's demographics or upbringings or social experiences play into their interactions with patients. And also, just trying to make the interactions between doctors and patients more of a partnership and less of a, I'm going to tell you to do this, you listen to me because I'm the doctor. And then the patient surprisingly doesn't listen. <laughs> then the <laughs> final honoree I spoke to is Michael Dowling, who's the president and CEO of Northwell Health. And I, I've spoken to him a few times. He has an, a very interesting life story of growing up in. Ireland and very much in poverty making right. his way over here. And he's a very, very strong believer in opportunity, educational opportunities to try to help people better themselves. And he's also similarly a very strong advocate for social safety nets which in turns. He knows how he got to where he is and he views a lot of it as Luck and hard work—a combination. He believes very strongly that healthcare, specifically, has a role in leveling the playing field or helping raise people up when possible.
1: And I talked about this a little bit with with Heather and Anastasia as well. That it's a it's a rare but but delightful opportunity to actually get to spend like a lot of time digging into a person or a company, like we got to do for this project. So, as you were conducting these interviews, or maybe some of the the things that you you learned about these folks, or or even from them as you were talking with them?
4: I'll stick with Michael Dowling since that's who I was on, but he has a pretty well-known profile within the healthcare industry as being very outspoken and not being afraid of being in the press saying, I think we should be doing this. And specifically, gun violence is always the topic that always comes up with him in particular. And one is he's very passionate about that gun violence is a healthcare issue and health systems providers need to take a stronger role. Our discussion very much centered on not just that he leans into that role for himself, but he thinks that it is a core responsibility for healthcare leadership to adopt uh, similar boldness. Don't He has a motto, don't be afraid of pissing anybody off politically, because if you're not yeah. pissing somebody off, you're probably doing your job wrong. <laughs> a leader's job is to lead even when it's not popular, even when there might be some blowback. If it's If it's the right thing to do and the helpful thing to do, he's very much of the mind that you should be doing it. And I think we've seen him do that a few times. And we always point to the others who are willing to take that same uh, mentality. From Dr. Halamka, we spoke a good deal about blending the role of innovation and making sure not to do too much damage. (laughs) Mayo Clinic in particular is very involved in an industry group called the Coalition for Health AI and as ai becomes more and more of a component in healthcare it's a lot of how we put together these algorithms without betraying everybody's privacy or unintentionally creating an algorithm that does more harm than good his big pieces of advice were very much you can only break harm somebody's trust once no matter what you do if you lose the trust of a patient in particular they're never going to come back for you doing no digital harm, sort of like the the doctor saying, be the first and foremost. And then particularly when it comes to trust, you only get one chance of that. The same time he said, start small, move fast, and don't be afraid of shaking things up and try to target the pain points. Particularly for doctors, we see administrative issues. He was very quick to pull together some examples that pushed into the administrative component. So for Dr. Cooper, she's had some time in policy influencing positions between her Hundreds of academic publications and testifying before Congress, serving on the President's Council of Advisors for Science and Technology. And one of the things that she's noticed just in that position and from talking with other healthcare leaders who want to do better on things like health equity is that there's a very, very large difference in talking about something and saying you're going to do something and then actually getting your hands dirty and doing it. Sometimes that's Are politicians just going to talk about, we need to focus on this, but then the sides can't come together and put together some actual meaningful policy change? Or is it a healthcare leadership team that's willing to broadcast a lot of ideas surrounding health equity and representation and all those focus areas, but not actually put structures in place within their organizations and doing the due diligence to actually make it happen? She's Honestly a big concern that that's a little bit of the direction that the current healthcare landscape is when it comes to health equity.
1: And, and you touched on this a little bit, especially you mentioned for instance Michael Dowling is someone who's not really afraid to to come out and say what he's he's thinking or put his perspective on different issues out there. For the healthcare leaders and industry leaders who are listening to this, what what do, lessons do you think they could or should take away from from the the folks that you interviewed?
4: The three top line things that I was just hinting at a little bit here for for Dowling, it's absolutely don't be afraid. Put your role as a leader as a responsibility. It's not just a nice spot you get to be in at the top. For Dr. Cooper, it's put your money where your mouth is. Absolute those two are similar, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah. But, but <laughs> put your money where your mouth is on health equity. We can't just talk about these things. Saying something is a step forward, but then doing something is that second step forward. And then Dr. Holomka, I would definitely say is it's twofold advice. Be careful as you go, but don't be so afraid of being careful that you can't get things done.
1: And as as we wrap this up, I want to look ahead a little bit, say a year from now, we've we've closed the the 2024 Fierce 50. It's out. What do you think would catch your eye as someone we should include in the future? And maybe what makes an, an individual or, or a company that could go on the list fierce from your perspective?
4: It's the people who are Getting their hands dirty and getting in there and doing it. I would, I feel like I would definitely want us to be featuring figures within the industry that have been through the trenches or can show that they've made, uh, demonstrable changes for the better within the healthcare industry. And let's be honest, there's a lot of things in the industry that can be made better.
1: Absolutely. There's plenty
4: of opportunities.
1: Dave, thank you so much for the time. Sure thing.
0: That's it for the top line. I'm Ayla Ellison. You can find out more about this topic in our show notes at fiercepharma.com. Look for podcasts. And that's the bottom line from the top line.